I remember being asked when I was little, about five years old, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they had asked my class, and there were, you know, lots of people wanted to be police officers, and, you know, they wanted to be firemen and nurses, a couple of prime ministers and astronauts, and it got to my turn, and I said with such conviction that I wanted to be a lolly shop tester. <laughs> a lolly shop tester. So in my five-year-old mind, I thought my favorite dairy just down the road, surely someone has to test the lollies to choose which ones make it, you know, to the glass jar full of lollies. And so I decided that was going to be my career path. And I remember my mum saying, but your, your teeth will be full of holes. And, and I just thought, doesn't matter, I'll be happy. I'll enjoy it. But, you know, if you were to ask me, what do I want to be when I grow up? Because there's still time for me to grow up. There's still time for all of us to grow up. My answer would have to be that I want to be like Jesus when I grow up. I want to be like Jesus. And I think that is the hope of the church, that all his sons and all his daughters from all walks of life, that, that even with our individual goals and our individual dreams, that what arcs over it all is that desire to want to become like Christ to want to become like Jesus, as I like to say it, that every year as we blow out our candles on our birthday, that we would be a little more like Jesus, a little more like Jesus. And you know, Jesus, he was the freest person to ever walk this earth. There's, there was no, no one freer before him. There's been no one freer since. He was the freest person to walk this earth. If it wasn't for him, I probably wouldn't believe that freedom in the human condition is possible. But Jesus clothed himself in flesh and showed us what it is to live a life of freedom in human form. And what's the most amazing blessing for us is that this is all so well documented as an amazing example for us to follow. You know, if Jesus so lived this freedom living, if he so embodied freedom living, then he must have had freedom thinking. It says in Proverbs 23 verse 7, for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And it's so true. We become what we think about. And so if Jesus had this free living, he must have had free thinking. And you know, the scripture tells us, it doesn't just tell us that we are to live like Christ, it actually tell us, tells us that we are to think like him too. It says that in Philippians 2 verse 5, it says, In all your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 16, who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. And I thought, where do you even begin with an instruction like that? Like, it seems like a bit of a tall order, don't you think? Would you just think like Jesus, please? And I thought, where do I even begin with that, Lord? And, and so just in this message, we're going to look at three different mindsets of Christ that are made visible through his documented life. Three mindsets that we would do well to embrace as our own and to instill them into our children, our grandchildren, our friends, and our peers and those around us. You know, when freedom is in here and is in here and makes its way out, man, it causes a kerfuffle. 
I, I found it so interesting in my life that the people who I, friends that, I, that used to know me well when I was younger and extended family that used to know me well when I was younger, if there's an event or occasion that brings us back together and they have to get to know this new me, it's been so interesting. I've found that a few of them are not really impressed. <laughs> Some of them are like, well, they don't say this. But I preferred when you thought the same way that I did. I preferred when you joined me in laughing behind people's backs. I preferred when, like me, you needed a few drinks to get loose on the dance floor or express your emotions. Like, what is all of this sober dancing, so free with your moves? Like, that's appropriate when we're a few drinks down, but sober, like, what are you trying to prove? <laughs> what are you doing expressing your emotions? That's appropriate when you've had a few, but please don't do it. When you're the, just be like the rest of us, please. And unless you've been drinking, could you just bottle that all up? Don't be so free with your affection, say, encouraging people and even using describing words. <laughs> And maybe you've grown up in a typical Kiwi family and you can relate to that kind of culture, just everything, manners and tidy and don't express anything. I know so I, sometimes I watch some of my family members and it looks like it hurts them, like physically, to give a compliment. It's like they squeeze it out. <laughs> and then one time I um, was at this event and... And I ended up unwillingly in this conflict with someone that I used to know, and I always go unwillingly into conflict. And he, and he started, I don't, I don't even know what I did to offend him so much or what I said, but I, I did. And so he was coming at me with accusations and, and cuss words. And then he said, out of his mouth comes, who do you think you are? And I thought, aha, I know that voice. See, our enemy, he's described in the scripture as our accuser, as the accuser. And only the accuser could take a question so holy and so important and turn it into an accusation, who do you think you are? Which leads me to the first mindset of Christ. Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knew who he was. He often defined himself. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. I am the gate. I am the son of God. And so if we want to be like Jesus when we grow up, we've got to know who we are. We've got to know who we are. You know, when we don't know who we are, two things usually happen. People begin to shape who we are, or we shape ourselves into some type of acceptable image to our culture around us. And I tell you what, that causes stress to our souls when we are trying to be who we're not. And it's not the way of Jesus. He didn't think like that. We don't know if Jesus ever questioned who he was, but we do know that if he did, he had answered it by the time he was 12 years old. 
I love this beautiful story in Luke chapter 2, verse 41. And what's so special about this is that this is really the only story where we get to get to know Jesus in his boyhood. And so let's read it. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 2, verse 41. It says that every year Jesus' parents, they went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. And after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Bad parenting. Nah, it's not. It's really easy to do. Um, <laughs> thinking that he was in their company, they traveled for a day. And then they began to look for him among their relatives and friends. Man, I can feel their stress. And when they don't find him, they go back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days. So I've lost my kids before, but they're not the son of God. I would be really stressed if I was married. And so, <laughs> I mean, they're awesome. But, you know, it says that when they did not find him, uh, after three days, they found him in the temple courts. And there's this 12-year-old Jesus. He's sitting among the teachers. He's listening to them. And he's asking questions for three days. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. So he's not just asking them questions. He's actually answering their questions as this 12-year-old boy. And then when his father and mother... um, They find him. They said, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he said. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? They did not understand what he was saying to them. And then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And as Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man, so he knew at 12 who he was. He knew who his father was. He knew what he was about. Imagine if we knew who we were that young. Imagine the freedom it would have brought and just the the way we would have lived would have been so different. And you know, the more you know who you are, the freer you become. And the freer you become, the more you're going to come up against that accusation. Who do you think you are? And so we have to know who we are. We have to know who we are. And so I'm not going to tell you who you are in Christ. What I've done is I've put together all of these scriptures for you to go on your own journey. So they're going to come up here. And then what you're going to do is you're going to get your phones out so you can get them out ready. And you can take a photo of them as they appear. (gasps) Take a photo. Yep. And then get alone and just go through these scriptures just one by one. And even if you're here and you've been following God for a while, even as I was doing this process of finding these scriptures for you, it was, ama- it was just amazing to me, the solidity that this brought to my life, just re- like remembering who I am in Jesus. So we don't let the world define who we are, but we go to the Word, who is Jesus. He reveals himself as the Word, and we let the Word define who we are, not the world. Okay, and the second mindset of Jesus is that he was always aware that God was with him. 
He was always aware that God was with him. He thought like that and he lived like that. When you read the Gospels, it's so evident that Jesus always knew of God's immense care for him. He always knew that God had wisdom to impart in any moment. It says in John chapter 12, verse 49, Jesus said, For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. So he was so aware of God that he didn't even speak without drawing close to his presence. I was reading this recent Harvard study, and it was the results were so sad, and it was on loneliness. And they have worked out that 61% of young people from the age of 18 to 25 are reporting serious loneliness. This is in the West. Serious loneliness. They're either frequently lonely almost all the time or all the time. And you know, loneliness, it increases our risk of depression, anxiety, heart disease, and substance abuse. And loneliness is increasing in all the ages. It used to be more of an elderly condition, and now it is a young person's condition to be lonely. You know, there's a difference to being alone and feeling lonely. You can be alone and not feel lonely at all. You could be in a room full of people and feel so lonely. So it's two different things. You know, I am just, I don't know why it works like this for me, but I am no more aware of God's presence than when I'm with a in a room full of strangers. When I'm feeling like I'm alone amongst a whole lot of people that I don't know, that's when I feel God's presence the closest with me. And, you know, I was in the supermarket just a couple of weeks ago and I was just so aware of God's presence that I was just trying to wipe this massive smile off my face and this man just goes, happy! And I was like, yes! Guilty! So happy! But I'm saying that to say that we don't have to be alone. That as followers of Jesus, we have something that others don't have. We have a God that is present with us all the time. And Jesus, this was his way of thinking. And he said this to his disciples. He says, but the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now when you will be scattered. All of you will scatter, going your own way, leaving me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. This is the way of Jesus, that he was never lonely and never alone because he knew that God was with him. It says in Luke chapter 5, verse 16, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to where he was alone and he prayed. He got alone so he could be with. He got alone so he could be with. It says that in another translation, he often slipped away to pray. How many times do you slip away to pray in your day? How many times do you slip away to pray? How many times do you get alone so you can be with? I know some of you have real full lives. Maybe you've got lots of meetings. Well, what if you just took one meeting, one minute, two minutes in between each meeting to just draw near to God, to be aware of Him? What if you took three times out of your day to just sit outside for five minutes and just be aware of His presence around us? You know, it would be so weird if I acknowledged Joel in the morning and pretended like he wasn't there for the rest of the day. But we do that with God. Like he's some box to be ticked, not someone to live our life with. And Jesus lived his life. 
here on earth with God, close to God. You know, I think as Christians, we should be the least lonely people group in the world. Sadly, it's not the case. I think how young people should be the least lonely people group in the world because we have this thing called church. We've got a community of believers here to be around you and you know that you are never alone because God is always with you. I think we could change that. The third mindset of Jesus is that he never tried to please people. He never tried to please people. I love that about him. Got him into serious trouble sometimes. When you think about the freest people that you know, they probably embody this quality, that they don't worry what others think. Such an easy trap to fall into. You know, when we are worrying about what others think, you're not thinking like Jesus, because he didn't think like that. So if you want to have the mindset of Christ, you can't worry about what people think. So Jesus didn't worry about what people thought. He worried about only what one person thought, and that was God. He lived for the audience of one. It says in John chapter 8, verse 29, And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. There we go again. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. He lived for the audience of one. You know, Jesus lived so well that he loved to eat food and to have a glass of wine with his meal. He loved to hang out with any kind of person that he wanted to. So much so that the Pharisees accused him of being a drunkard, of being a glutton, and being a friend of sinners. His freedom so offended them. His freedom was so offensive to them because they didn't have it. And it must have made them so mad when they're sitting there in their boring dinner parties, all putting on this acceptable, you know, false version of themselves, eating the acceptable food in this boring company, and there's Jesus just eating and hanging out with all kinds of awesome people, just having a great time. They, they hated that he hung out with tax collectors and prostitutes and all, people from all walks of life. His freedom so offended them. I bet the Pharisees would have gladly accepted Jesus had he made himself acceptable to them. And, you know, we come against these moments in our life and you feel that tension. Maybe you're in a new workplace or a new classroom or new friend group and you're like, man, if I know if I act more like them, I'll be more acceptable to them. And you end up in this tension. But Jesus didn't worry about what others think. And if we start worrying about what others think and trying to make ourselves accept an acceptable image, we are not thinking the way that Jesus thought. You know, whenever there is freedom, the critics will gather. When it, wherever there is freedom, the critics will gather. And it's usually because they don't possess it. And it's confronting I, have, I just absolutely love the story of Mary who goes to anoint the feet of Jesus. And it takes place in Bethany. And what had happened is not long before that, Mary's brother, her beloved brother, had died. And he was Jesus' good friend. And then Jesus, he came and he raised Lazarus um, up to new life. He brought him back to life and it was this amazing miracle. 
And so Jesus was coming back to the town of Bethany. And so they were holding this dinner in His honour. And so there's Jesus and He's there with, his, with Lazarus and with His disciples. And, um, and He's just sitting there enjoying the meal. And Martha, she's serving and she's not complaining this time because it didn't go well for her the last time that she did it. So she's just serving. And then here comes Mary. And Mary takes this jar of perfume that is worth about a year's wages. And it's most likely her dowry. And she takes the most precious thing she owns. And she walks into that group of men. And she breaks open the bottle. And she pours it at his feet. And then she wipes his feet with her hair. And she just, the most amazing free act of worship. She takes what's the most precious thing to her. And just full, so free with her adoration and so free with her worship, she, she crosses the borders of what was appropriate. It wasn't appropriate for her to walk in the room and do that. And she just worshipped Jesus. She showed him how much she loved him. And right away, the critic was there. And Judah said, hey, that could have been sold. And it could have fed the poor. That was not right what she did. And Jesus says, leave her alone. I tell you, when you begin to possess this freedom and when you move closer to Jesus and you start to put on his mindsets and become freer and freer, I tell you, the critics will gather. You'll begin to come up against that accusation, who do you think you are? But you're going to know who you are. You're going to know who you are. And people are going to gather and they'll say, you should have done that differently. And you're going to say, but I was living for the audience of the one. And you're going to know that God is always with you. You know, this is a picture of the church I see. One where the people are so free with their lives and free with their worship that it would cause a commotion. It would cause such a stir. It would draw in the critics and it would set an example for the generations to come. You know, freedom might not be the culture of your family of origin, but it is the culture of the kingdom of God. It is the culture of Jesus. And so what culture are we going to grab hold on to? Are we going to stay in that culture of our family of origin or are we going to break free of it? And are we going to dance when we're sober? And are we going to be expressive with our worship and generous with our affection towards each other and not be afraid to look foolish because we're living for the audience of the one? We know who we are. We know God is with us. And we don't worry what others think. That is the way of Jesus.